You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Well, good morning. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Thanks for being here. Just honored that you would be here. and uh, It's humbling to have the opportunity to speak to you. A couple of, uh, I've recommended some of these books before, but just a reminder, if you've got a student that's um, graduating high school or college, uh, this book is called Just Do Something, little bitty book, um, Just Do Something, A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will, and uh, we go through it with our seniors every year. I'm not sure we've ever made it through the book in the semester, but it's a great book. It's a liberating book. It really is. And even if, if and I, I didn't cut myself shaving. I have this Band-Aid here, for those of you who see it, just to keep this microphone from not moving. Um, but anyways, it's a great book, and it's an easy read. And if you um, haven't read a book about knowing God's will or anything like that, I'd encourage you to read it as well. Just Do Something. The author's name is Kevin DeYoung. That's D-E-Y-O-U-N-G, Kevin DeYoung. And uh, good stuff. There's some other books that he's written that are really good as well. Another, if you're looking for a Bible study to do, just something to help you in your own personal Bible study, let me also recommend, and it's an older study, uh, it's a workbook, it'll take you a while to go through, it's called Experiencing God um, by Henry Blackaby. It does not look like this in the bookstore anymore. This is my, this is my copy from 1994. Um, so this is a 20-year-old copy. This is the copy I was going through when uh, the Lord sent us away from the business world into ministry. And so it's a fantastic study, and um, I'd encourage you to pick it up. And if you're trying to learn the discipline of a personal quiet time, trying to learn the discipline of spending time with the Lord, this is a great tool. Just to, It'll give you something to do each morning uh, or evening, whatever time is best for you. And each session, like there's a day one or one study for each day, and it'll take you maybe maybe 30 minutes. And so I'd highly recommend that. Henry Blackaby, Experiencing God. It's been around for a long time. Some of you have probably seen it. Many of you may have never heard of it. Well, I, I brought you some more of these quotes. Let's see which one to use today. How about this one? Don't simply retire from something. Have something to retire to. Don't simply retire from something, have something to retire to. That is a quote from Harry Emerson Fosdick. Here's one from Albert Einstein. I think he was a, uh, not sure he really was very smart, but anyways. Never give up on what you really want to do. The person with big dreams is more powerful than one with all the facts. Let me read that again. Never give up on what you really want to do. The person with big dreams is more powerful than one with all the facts. Um, two more. This one is by Nietzsche. Uh, you've probably heard of him. He's not often spoken of in church. But um, listen to this. He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. Let me read that again. He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. And then this one is uh, by F.B. Meyer. The greater the man, the dearer price he pays for a short season of sinful pleasure. Let me read that again. The greater the man, the dearer price he pays 
for a short season of sinful pleasure. So a couple of quotes for you. Let's pray and we'll dip, get into Mark chapter seven. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for this season and time that you allow us to live in. I thank you that, as the old phrase goes, you are the blessed controller of all things. In you, we live and move and breathe and have our being, as the Apostle Paul spoke to the people of Athens in Acts 17. I thank you that this day has purpose. This day has meaning. There is nothing neutral about it. Would you open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word? And if by your grace, uh, we lay our heads down to sleep tonight, I pray we would be able to look back on this day as the Apostle Paul would tell us, having run the race well and run the course that has been set before us and that something uh, we have been able to say or do in this day will have an impact for the goodness and the grace of Jesus on someone's life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Mark chapter seven. Um, by the way, I'll be with you for a couple more weeks and then uh, I gotta head out to some other things. And some other guys will be taking care of you. So I got you for a few more weeks here. Mark chapter seven. I'm just gonna begin reading. We're, we're gonna try to cover 23 verses. Um, if there's a pool going, we'll see what happens. I, I wanna get to verse 19 and I wanna get to the bottom of your notes, okay? Uh, and if you look at your note page before we even um, read the scriptures, I wrote for you something like this. The big so what of the story in Mark is the reality that Jesus came to change men from the heart. He came to change from the inside out where the real man lives. He came to set people free. I will tell you and we'll repeat this as we go through the morning, most of us gravitate towards captivity. Let me, let me say that again. Most of us in our lives gravitate towards captivity. Jesus came to set us free, but somehow in our lives, we gravitate towards control. Uh, we gravitate towards things that control us. We gravitate towards our schedule that we let control us. Uh, we gravitate towards religious figures, churches, institutions that control us. Uh, all you have to do is look at politics. Uh, people who experience great freedom often do not know how to live in freedom. And therefore, many people around them start defining really what they consider to be protective barriers. And we gravitate towards captivity. Almost all of us in this room are captive to something. And it may be very neutral, but it's very interesting if you just try to change a habit from your day, you find out that when you change that habit, sometimes you feel like something dangerous could happen or something bad could happen because of the protection of captivity. We gravitate towards that. We do not operate well in real freedom. And nowhere is that more evident oftentimes than in the church and in the practice of religion. And that's what's happening here in Mark chapter seven because Jesus came to set us free. And I'm afraid that even the freedom that Jesus came to give us is a freedom that for the most part we're even afraid of. And we're very, we're very frightened of just how free he has come to set us free. So let me begin reading in verse one. I'm gonna kind of uh, go pretty quick here because I, I do wanna get to some, the bigger picture so you can see how all of scripture is speaking of this issue. The Pharisees gathered towards Jesus, verse one, chapter seven, some of the scribes 
who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples of Jesus were eating uh, and, and that their hands were defiled or unwashed. Now, the word defiled is going to be used in one form or another seven times in this short story. Remember, when you're reading, watch the words that are repeated. Seven different times he's going to use the word defiled. And it's not what you think. The word he uses for defiled here is where the word we would use is just common. Okay? Now, Every once in a while, it takes on a religious overtone, but its basic meaning is common. There's nothing separate about it. There's nothing special about it. And so the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the religious people are saying, hey, your disciples are not acting like elevated religious people. They're just acting like common people. They're not washing their hands. And there were all kinds of things that went along with this religious practice. Look at verse three. The Pharisees and all the Jews... He's telling us what happened. They did not eat unless they washed their hands, holding to the tradition. Now, the word tradition, he's going to use six times as well. He's going to use this, this same word tradition over and over. And what he means by this word tradition is the same thing you would imagine. It's a handing down of a practice from before. And that's, that's all that that is. And so holding to the tradition of the elders, verse four, and when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and all kinds of things. Verse five, the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the religious leaders or the elders? But they eat with defiled hands. They have become as common people, is the way you can read that. And Jesus said to them, Oh, how well did Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? For it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, and they teach as doctrines the commandments of men. That's out of Isaiah chapter 29. Verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. Fourth time that word is used. Now, verse 9, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God, in order to establish your tradition. There's the word again. Then he refers to how Moses said, honor your father and mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. A lot of words there. He's saying, you guys are so caught up in your tradition and you make it sound so godly that someone can even be blessed in their life, but they will, they will keep from blessing their family for some religious reason. They'll say, well, you know, this is God's money, so I can't really help my family that's in need. You, you, you forsake the greater commandment of love for your traditions. So he goes on in verse 13, thus making void the word of God by your tradition. That's the sixth time he's used that word that you have handed down and many such things you do. So Jesus he, he kind of tweaks the religious establishment. And then really when you get to verse 14, it's a separate occasion. So verse 14, he called the people to himself again. So Jesus gathers the people to himself and he says, listen to me. I want all of you to listen to me and understand. There is nothing, well, let's just hang on here and watch what happens here. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him or that can make him common, that can that can make his life unworthy. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person, that is what defiles him. Verse 17, and he entered the house and he left the people. Now the disciples asked him about the parable, which is kind of interesting how they use the word parable. 
Verse 18, Jesus says to them, you don't understand, do you? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Now, verse 19 is a key verse because by verse 19, Mark is getting ready to tell us Jesus has come to mess the whole thing up because he's gonna say a few words here in a minute that just wreck the establishment. So verse 19, he says, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. And that's as graphic as you wanna make it, okay? Okay. That's exactly what Jesus said. He said, you're going to eat it and later on, assuming all things are regular, it's going to be gone. Okay? Listen to what he says. Thus he declared all foods clean. Now you probably read that and just whoop, went right through it. But that statement was massive in his culture. Massive towards a Jewish audience. That in one statement, Mark is saying, hey, by the way, when Jesus said that, he turned the whole law on its head. He turned it upside down. He rendered freedom. It's really something else. We'll take a look at it some more. Verse 20, and Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. It goes deeper. For from within, it's out of the heart of man. This is where Jesus is headed, to the heart of man. Out of this place come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery. You see, pausing at verse 21, you can do all kinds of religious things on the outside that totally betray who you really are on the inside. And you can be rotten and gut ugly and just nasty on the inside. But because of the way you have worked your religious practice, there's a deception that makes it look like you're right with the Lord and you're no more right with the Lord than Lucifer. And then he says in verse 22, coveting and wickedness and deceit, and sensuality, and envy, and slander, and pride, and foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let me, let me fill in some blanks for you, and then I want you to see the larger part of scripture here. Verse, or number one, just like the religious practitioners of the New Testament, we gravitate towards outward actions. We gravitate towards how we behave and what we do. Now, be careful, because if we get our guard up real quick and say things like, oh, he's getting ready to tell us we can just do whatever we want to do. Well, well, hang on, because biblically that's pretty true, but just hang on. Just like the religious practitioners of the New Testament we gravitate towards outward actions, believing or feeling, they more readily result in favor from the Lord or protection from his displeasure. Now, let me tell you how this works out in our lives. Each one of us in this room have struggles we deal with. Some of them your neighbors know about, some of them they do not. And oftentimes, when we sin in a way that we wish we could shake it, what we do is we begin acting very religious in our prayer life and in our quiet time and our church attendance for as long as it takes us to feel as if we're completely forgiven. That's what we do. And so you see this all the time in, in, in well, I'm not gonna be that specific, but each one of us know what our issue is where we bow our head or look up to heaven or we pause and we say, I, Jesus, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, or however you confess. You cross yourself, you pray the rosary, you bow, you kneel, you do whatever. You take a walk around the block. You say, I lost my temper again. I have, I'm abusing my family verbally. Dear Jesus, forgive me. I cannot believe I'm doing this. I can't control my eyes. And we pray and we pray. And for the next seven days, we've never been more faithful to reading the Bible. And we even memorize a verse that week. 
and we go to church and you go to Elements on Wednesday night. That's tonight, by the way. How'd you like that plug? And so you go to, you go to Elements and you, you take communion and you cry and you do whatever it takes and you go get your wife roses and you, you tell your kids you love them and you go to their games. You do all these outward things until such a time as you assuage your conscience. It has nothing to do with your soul because if you have confessed the Lord Jesus as Savior and he has saved you, that doesn't mean you're sinless and doesn't mean you won't sin. You are free from condemnation. You don't understand how much you're loved, but you believe that Jesus is in heaven watching your penance and after a good seven days of penance, you and he are good because you don't understand your grace and your forgiveness. Many people don't like that because they will say the following. You mean to tell me somebody can just go and do what they want to do? And the answer is pretty much biblically, yes. But we don't deal well with freedom. But I tell you, the most restrictive element to freedom is love. Hang on to that for a minute. We'll get there. The most restrictive element to freedom is love. And let me tell you how I know that. And I know how you know it. Assuming some of you guys in this room are madly in love with your wife. It's an assumption, but it just, the assumption is you're madly in love with your wife. When you fell madly in love, even before you got married, many of you had friends who said the following, what happened to you? Why don't you do fill in the blank anymore? And I'll tell you why you don't, because you fell in love. And that love restricted the freedom of your life and you willingly gave away that freedom. You willingly laid down your partying days. You willingly laid down your skirt chasing days, hopefully. You willingly laid these things down because love changed you. And to be quite honest, it captivated you into a new freedom. We don't see that though in our walk with Jesus, but we'll see it later on in the scriptures that Jesus speaks of this often and what you should be praying rather than, oh my God, I am so sorry. You should be praying, show me how much you love me because only when I am captured and wrapped up in that will it change me from the inside out. Behavior will never change you from the inside out. Going to church will never change you from the inside out. It will never happen. It, it, it always has to happen from the inside out. And that's where Jesus came to make such a radical difference. Because even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is screaming for something to change on the inside. Something has to change on the inside. That's why um, oftentimes when I counsel with men who have a difficult time in their marriages being faithful, it's often because their hearts have been hurt somewhere in their past and they don't understand what it means to be loved. Nor can they even accept the fact that Jesus loves them without measure. And so they just, they just twist off. They don't know what it is to be shackled by love to a life of freedom. Let's, let's keep going. We are inclined to gravitate towards the captivity, the control, and even the manipulation of observable action practice, ritual, and accomplishment, and we harbor a deep suspicion and fear of real freedom. I'll give you some examples. Um, this is one of my favorite ones with my family. Uh, I grew up in a church in an environment, lovely environment, but uh, 
Well, I didn't grow up in a Christian home until I was about 10. My mom came to Christ. And I learned very quickly when I started hanging out with Christian friends that apparently um, you were supposed to bow at mealtime and bless your food a certain way. Okay, anybody else discover that one when you came to Christ? And maybe just me. And so you know, I'd go out to eat with my friends and we'd be at, we lived in Tulsa, the place called Taco Bueno. And so we go to Taco Bueno and I'm just like, I got my burritos and I'm in. And I didn't realize there was a moment here that we were supposed to stop and bow our heads. And, and there is a certain prayer that you're supposed to pray. And it's something along the lines of our gross, gracious heavenly father, which I didn't realize there's also certain ways you're supposed to start your prayer. And so, I, you know, most gracious heavenly father, we thank you for this food before us. We thank you for the provision of it. And we pray that you would, you would bless this food and you would nourish our bodies and our bodies to your service. And we thank you for this. And it's in the precious name of Jesus, we pray, amen. And then you got to open your eyes and eat. And, um, I thought, well, wow, that, that apparently is a sign of walking with Jesus. And so that's what you did. And, and one day I sat down and I said, why do I do that? Why, why do I do that? I mean, what, which, which scripture says when you're at Taco Bueno, you need to bow your heads and pray? And, and, and so um, I, I, there's not one. Now, I know some of you are like, yeah, but Jesus, he blessed that food and 5,000 were fed. Well, that's right, but you don't need to eat that much. And so I'm sitting down, I'm thinking, what? And then I go to California and there's this guy I meet who we sit down to eat and this is what he does. We're just sitting talking and like I'm talking to Dean, we're just talking, food comes to the table and he goes, you know what? I'm so thankful for this food the Lord has provided for all of us to eat. It's amazing, let's just start eating. You know what he did? He never closed his eyes. He never bowed his head. There was not a moment where everybody in the restaurant got uncomfortable because there was a service going on there. I mean, like he blessed the food with his eyes open. And, and he didn't even say, bless this food to our bodies and our bodies to your service. I and mean, I thought that was in the 10 commandments. And so he didn't say all these things. And, but I'm, I'm joking with you on that, but here's my challenge to you. Because some of you, this hits close to home and that's a sacred moment. Don't bless your food for the next three days and see what your heart does. And see if you're captive to a practice more than you're captive to the Jesus who speaks into your soul. Now listen, some of you, that may not matter, but I told you we gravitate towards the captivity of religious practice more than we gravitate towards the Jesus who sets our souls free. And what makes you feel more free in Christ? The freedom to rejoice under the stars or the sense that if I don't bless this food, I'm not sure Jesus will watch us today and this food may have been spit in by the, someone in the back and I could get sick and die. Be careful, be very careful. There's all kinds of, you, when we first started Stonegate, I remember when we didn't do an invitation after a Sunday service where we didn't say every head bowed and every eye closed. We didn't get a hymnal out and sing just as I am four times. We didn't have everybody stand up and I didn't say, we're gonna sing one more hymn because there's one more person, just one more who's gonna come forward. I'm not knocking that, but, but when that happened and, and someone comes up and says, why didn't you do an invitation? And you make a statement like, well, why did I have to? Well, 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 exactly. And, and there's all kinds of things. I got a list here, but I'm not going to list. But we become captive to traditions rather than to a savior who set us free. Number two, what sets us apart for the above and beyond 
an uncommon life. I'm very intentional with these words. What sets us apart for the above and beyond an uncommon life is first and always an inside out transformation. That whole story that Jesus tells is not about being defiled, it's about being accepted. And it's about having an uncommon life and it's made uncommon not by religious practice, it's made uncommon by a life being transformed from the inside out. Let me tell you a story and then I wanna press into some more scripture here. And I asked for his permission, I talked to him yesterday to see if I could share this story. A uh, story about Mike Gakey and myself. Um, years ago, it was the year 2000, and we went to uh, San Diego to run in a marathon together. Well, run is a stretch. We, we went to San Diego to participate in a marathon. And, um, and if you've ever done that, they have what's called an expo before the marathon the day before, where you kind of go to this building and there's all kinds of goodies, and it's like a trade show. And I may have told some of you this story. And we're walking around together, Mike's with me, and the other guys have kind of taken off to some other places. And, um, and we're walking down, I, I still remember it, and you'll know why I remember it here in just a minute. It's about from me to that back wall. And back in 2000, a real popular uh, nutritional product was a product called Metrics, okay? It's this powder you drink and it turns you into Superman. And so I, I was looking at it, and in the Metrics booth, there were about, um, might as well have been 100 the way I caught, caught my eye, Metrics girls, okay? With, and I'm, I'm hesitant to describe it in too much detail because of where your minds will go. But um, let's just say there wasn't much on them, okay? And I was like, praise the Lord. No, I was, I, I, so, stay with me. And so I, I was gonna go share the gospel. And I, I was walking <laughs> down the, um, I was walking down the aisle and I looked at Mike and I said, I gotta, I gotta turn, I need to go another direction. And he says, what are you talking about? And some of you know Mike's story, that he struggled with same, struggles with same-sex attraction. And, and I, he goes, what are you talking about? And I looked at him, I stopped, dead stop. I said, Does, do you not see that? And he goes, what, all those girls in bikinis? Like, yes! Dude, does, I go, does, can, can you just go to that booth and say you want a sample? I mean, what? And, and he says, that doesn't affect me at all. I have no idea what you're talking about. And so I remember, I, that was the year 2000. And for the first time, I realized what it's like for someone to struggle differently than me, but also what it's like to have someone I know really well confess to me what his struggle really is, but me know that his heart's been changed by Jesus. You see, the, the wonderful part about this story, and we're gonna see a little bit later on, is every man in this room has a booth he cannot walk to. But the absence of struggle does not mean you're necessarily free. And the presence of struggle does not necessarily mean you're not free. But we must learn that my struggle might be something I battle through, but that doesn't mean my heart has not been set free by Jesus and I can do all the religious things I want to do that doesn't change that Jesus works from the inside out. There is nothing you will do today, not a thing, unless of course it is serving the poor or loving your neighbor that will make Jesus smile from heaven. Nothing. 
Think about that. If it is not service to someone else, it will not garner the applause of heaven. If it is not service to somebody else, it will not garner the attention of heaven. So we can have a thousand people here tonight for elements, plug number two. And, we, and, and, and if it, in some way we do not serve, there's nothing about the gathered night that will make the heaven go, wow, what a time. Not even a really sweet prayer over lunch. Go to Acts chapter 10 and let me show you how this, just, this whole issue of how Jesus turns things upside down and sets men free permeates the rest of the New Testament. I'll give you a couple and let you look up the rest. In Acts chapter 10, one of the guys who was present when Jesus told the story we read about in Mark was Peter. And so now later in life, Acts chapter 10, Peter's preaching the gospel. And if you go to verse nine of chapter 10, Peter, it says, he went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray and he became hungry. I'm in verse 10 of chapter 10. He wanted something to eat and they were preparing the meal downstairs. He falls into a trance, basically a dream state. And the heavens were opened up and something like a great sheet was descending. It was led down by four corners upon the earth and in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And, and actually everything he was not allowed to eat by his religious practice. Verse 13, there came a voice to him that said, Peter, get up, kill what you see and eat it. And Peter said, no way, no way, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common, same word used in Mark. I have never eaten anything that is common, nor have I eaten anything that is unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time and said, what God has made clean. And that word for made clean is where we get our word catharsis. And he says, what I have cleansed out, don't you dare call it common anymore. Crazy what he just did. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. You will struggle with the safety of your captivity as much as Peter did. Three times Peter looked at the Lord and said, I'm not touching that pig. That's what he said. Three times the Lord says to him, I want you to eat that. I'm giving you a free meal. And Peter says three times, I will not eat bacon. And finally, Jesus says, it's peppered bacon. No, he, I don't know what he says, but he just says, I have changed this, okay? And so now if you skip down to verse um, 28, Peter's telling the story to basically a bunch of Gentiles that he has to go deal with because Jesus is moving in the lives of everyone. And he says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Jesus works from the heart. Let me have you turn over to the book of Colossians. You can read some of these other scriptures on your own. Colossians is tough to find, so keep going right, and you're gonna pass Romans and First and Second Corinthians. We'll just keep walking through this. You'll go by Galatians, and then Ephesians, and then Philippians, and you'll come to Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two. And let's, we'll, we'll stop here, and, and I'll finish. But uh, Colossians chapter two, let me begin with verse number 16. So, 
let no one pass judgment on you in regards to anything of regarding food or drink. Let no one pass judgment upon you. Or even with regard to a festival or a new moon or even the Sabbath. Let no one pass any judgment on you based upon what you eat or don't eat or what you drink or don't drink. Or in regards to a festival you observe or a festival you do not observe or in regards to some new moon or something in the skies, or even in regards to the Sabbath. Guys, those are huge words. And then he goes on to say, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about their visions and all puffed up with no reason by their sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, not holding fast to Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that comes from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? He's, he's getting really risky here. I mean, and he's saying, why are you so bound up by rules that make you feel holy? And he, he gives a list, verse 21, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All this refers to things that are, that'll perish as they are used according to the human precepts and teachings. Verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Let me read that again, because for instance, I I have a real problem sometimes, and and I don't want this to hinder our relationship, so I'm just going to confess that to you, but I've been with people, you know, in in huge public places and in the public square, and sometimes people just want to pray. Let's pray for this moment. And that's, that's awesome. I appreciate that. But I look around and I go, you know, I remember where Jesus said, if you want to pray, pray in private. Go into your closet and the God who sees in private will hear you in private. Instead of making a show that makes it look like I'm religious. And, and the apostle Paul, he says, all this stuff that people do, it has the appearance of wisdom. It promotes self-made religion. It promotes asceticism and severity to the body. I made a vow years ago I would never wear a Christian t-shirt. And you may why wouldn't you wear a Christian t-shirt? I mean, you'd be walking down the street and someone could see your shirt and fall and repent. You're right. But oftentimes it puts off a message that the life doesn't show forth. And a friend of mine made me a t-shirt that said, this is not a Christian t-shirt. Um, and I started wearing it. Some of you never saw it, but I wore it to the Y a couple of times. Oh my gosh. I mean, you should have seen, cause you know, the Y, everybody's a Christian. And so I, I was, I wore this and, and I mean, the looks I got, it was just it, at the season that I wore it, it went with the reputation we had as a church. Like I knew that church was a bunch of pagans, but it is, it is a great t-shirt. This is not a Christian t-shirt. I love it. But anyways, all this has the appearance of wisdom. It promotes self-made religion. It's asceticism and the severity of the body. Watch this. But it has no value in stopping your lust problem. It has no value in the battle against your alcoholism. It has no value in your battle to quit doing whatever it is that strikes you down. Nothing. 
And it started when Jesus says, you can wash your hands all you want, but it starts from the heart. And until you get captivated, until you get stolen and raptured away, until you get slain and beaten down by how much he loves you, you will keep going to the bottle, you will keep chasing the skirts, you will keep walking away from church, you will keep doing this and that and this and that and this and that. Until you understand he came to set your heart free and then your greatest struggle when he sets your heart free will be believing your heart is free. That's what be, that'll be your greatest struggle. That will be the greatest day of freedom when one day you go, he loves me. He does. When the greatest hymn ever written was Jesus loves me, this I know because it's what the Bible tells me, and you're free. And your kids will begin to see, and your grandchildren will begin to see a man set free, not a man pretending or acting to try to make himself feel free. You know, the greatest tragedy of the Civil War, and some of you know this story, was as soon as slavery as an institution was eradicated and slaves were free, the majority chose not to pursue their freedom because they did not know how to live free. And my question to you is, do you know how? Because you think your practices and your prisons make you feel free, but all you're doing is harboring in the protection of what you control, because living free is much harder than living captive. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for these men and their amazing attention. I pray for each of us, Romans 12, that's on their piece of paper, that we would not be conformed to this world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. All of us in this room struggle, and the Apostle Paul said it as well, and we need to continue to just pour this into our hearts from you, that we have been raised with Christ. Let us seek the things that are above. And may the word of Christ richly dwell within us. Then he says in verse 14, your word says, above all these things, put on love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. Father, I know that every one of us in this room struggle with the enormity of how you've set us free. And as we go through this day, would you give us the, the wisdom to press against even the simplest things that betray our freedom in Christ? And may we be absolutely slain by how much you love us and, and how we can't shift to that. We can't change that. Um, and all of us who are fathers know exactly what that's like because there's nothing our kids could do to make us love them less or love them more. But oftentimes when we have a child in rebellion, we know we just want them to know how much they are loved. You have actually wired this into our DNA. And yet it's very hard for us to understand. So I thank you that we are uncommon because you change us from the inside out. As we pray every week, may these men preach well. Their lives are on purpose. It's not just a motivational speech. Their lives matter today. They will not meet mere mortals today. Every person they run into today will be an immortal soul. I, I love that quote from years ago I read that even each one of us are immortal. And we're immortal until you call us home and then we live even in immortality some more. May these men preach well. Thank you again for their faithfulness, for their attention and their grace, graciousness towards me in listening. 
And uh, we love you. Bless this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great uh, day. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.